I am really excited about the rather unusual platform that we have in front of us this morning. Some of you may know that I come from a little bit of a theater background myself before seminary and preparing for uh, clergy leadership. And early on in my training, I actually I remember so distinctly sitting before a committee that was kind of letting me know if I could pass a particular hoop and then go on to the next one. Uh, and, and they asked me if I could articulate the difference between being an actor and being a minister, being a clergy person. <laughs> I think they were uh, perhaps watching for... I don't know, the televangelist style. So, um, so I gave an answer that I think satisfied them, and, and I think it was the right answer in many ways. I said that as an actor, one of the things I particularly enjoyed was the opportunity to inhabit different identities, different realities, different, um, different values, different people. And that as a clergy person, I really try to inhabit my own identity as fully and as authentically as possible. I think what I said at the time, because I hadn't been to seminary, so I didn't know that kind of fully and authentically speak, I think I said something like, well, I think, you know, as a minister, you're supposed to tell the truth, right? <laughs> and, of course, there's a lot of reality to that, to that statement. On a deeper level, though, I think there may be very little difference between great theater and a great religious service. Both of them connect us to our deepest longings, our deepest fears, and deepest joys. And both of them ask us to imagine our own lives, to re-examine our own lives in some ways through the lens of a story. So that's what we're going to do this morning through a little lens of a very big story, as a matter of fact. And I want to thank and honor Peter Kent, who brought this concept to Where's Peter? There he is. Who brought this concept to me. He came and said, there's this great play. You know, Peter is really excited about things, and he's excited. And he said, there's this great play. Do you think we might be able to do something with it? Like, maybe could the actors come at some point? And I, of course, said, well, why don't they come and do platform? I think that would be just fabulous. <laughs> So Peter stuck with it and got us connected, and, um, and I'm just so grateful for that, Peter. I'm really excited about this. Peter is on the board of Forum Theater, which is the theater company in Silver Spring that has um, brought some of their actors from their play, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, and you have a little um, card, and I think that Peter is open to arranging some group Wes um, trips if people would like to go to talk to Peter, who's going to raise his hand right now, just in case you don't know him. Um, to go to the play together. This is a play that Forum Theater did many years ago and had a long extended run. And I know some West members actually saw it back then. And so they've brought it back. It's a, it's a play that looks at really deep ethical issues. And we're going to see three scenes from the play. I want to give you a little bit of a setup. The, the basic kind of premise of the play is that Judas Iscariot, so Judas who is the betrayer of Jesus, the man who betrayed Jesus with a kiss such that Jesus was brought to his death in the Gospels, in the biblical story. Um, Judas is on trial. His trial is kind of brought before he is himself in purgatory. And so witnesses come forward, and there's a defense lawyer and uh, um, and uh, uh, other kind of lawyer. <laughs> 
guys are so good. Thanks. And, uh, and, uh, and a judge. So that's kind of the conceit of the play. I want to give you a little bit of warning as well. Um, we'll see the three scenes, and I'll talk a little bit in between them. And some of these, or maybe all of the scenes, have um, profanity in them. So I want to let you know. Well, just, I can't tell if that was an oh no or an oh great. I'm not sure. Um, so uh, I think that the actors have been invited to, to try to um, censor themselves a little bit, but they might totally fail at that, and that's fine, because we have never been your usual kind of Sunday morning, right? So we can handle it. I also want to give on a more serious note a trigger warning that there, are, there is some emotional content, strong emotional content in the scenes, particularly around the loss of a child. So I want to let folks know that to kind of take a breath as we engage in, um, in art and all that art brings, strong and difficult emotions. And so I think without further ado, I'd like to invite forward our first scene of the morning. What you saw here is the opening scene of this play. Henrietta Iscariot, Judas's mother, speaking about her child's birth. As I read that scene, what came to me was the, <clears throat> the difference and the similarity between the birth of Jesus, the story that we hear so often come December. You might hear Jesus' mother, Mary, speaking about the birth of her child in a similar way. And that's a story that is told and retold through history and over cultures, all through the Christian tradition and really beyond the Christian tradition. A story of the miracle of a child's birth. Even within liberal religious tradition, people will take that story of Jesus' birth and talk about the miracle when any child is born. The way that that story of Jesus' birth tells us that we greet every child in the universe with open arms, as though they have the great possibility to transform the world. And so for me, the poignancy of hearing that same experience of possibility, of love for a little child who we know, watchers of the play, watchers of the unfolding of history, we know a child who will have a very different destiny, a child who will be held up in some ways as the archetype of the unforgivable. For me, The message in that scene is the core message of ethical culture, of any progressive religious tradition. It is the message of inherent worth. You know, we talk about inherent worth all the time in ethical culture about what that means, that each person has worth. And it's when we look at it, when we look at the person, the life that they have led, and go back to the very beginning and name that all the way through that life, from the very beginning in their mother's arms, all the way through the life, still we affirm and find that inherent worth in them. 
the idea of inherent worth was one of the key heresies of Unitarianism in the 19th century, as articulated by William Ellery Channing and also by Felix Adler in Ethical Cultures beginning in the late 19th century. The idea that within us is not just sin, not original sin, but instead the potential for good. The potential, in Channing's words, in his 19th century language, to grow in likeness to God, that each one of us has that potential for great goodness. You can see that shift in ethical culture's baby dedications, the way that we dedicate ourselves to care for the child and to their potential, to what will unfold in their life. There are a couple of other, I think, really key themes in this monologue, in Henrietta Iscariot's heart-wrenching cries. I see there the importance of connection and relationship. I'm so struck that the opening scene of the play, this, this trial of the man Judas, begins with Judas the baby, begins with the most intimate connection to his mother. And how hearing that connection changes our own experience of him. We see here, I think, the idea that there are relationships and connections for each of us that go beyond any question of forgiveness. The scene ends on a deep philosophical question as well, the question of theodicy. Theodicy is the the theological question of how a just and loving God can allow um, bad things to happen. It's a question about justice in the world. Henrietta asks that question as she wonders where her son is and where God is in that moment. For us in ethical culture, although we may not formulate the question in the same way, we too grapple with questions of fairness in the world, we too wonder how life can sometimes go so wrong. I'd like to invite our second scene forward. I love how this scene begins by articulating the authority to speak. How do we know that we can trust the character witness of Mary Magdalene? Santa Monica, St. Monica gives us a little bit of a sense of who Mary Magdalene is, and then, of course, Mary Mags does herself. Throughout the play, character witnesses come forward to challenge and to support Judas's character who he was. I'm sort of pre, um, pre-inclined to like Mary Magdalene and to support her character witness myself. I've always been fond of Mary Magdalene, kind of a symbol for me of the radical welcome that I see at the heart of Jesus's ministry, or at least the version of Jesus's ministry that I like to think was real. You imagine what an unclean person Mary Magdalene would have been at that time. Totally unacceptable because of her gender, her station in life, even her location, the way she says it, the town of ill repute. 
totally unacceptable and yet welcomed at the table, welcomed into the band of disciples. As she puts it in this scene, Jesus' best friend. And so it's out of that place, her own understanding of being a pariah, I think, that she comes forward to speak on behalf of Judas, another pariah. In this story and in the story of Christian history, the way that story has been told over years, Judas is a pariah because of what he does, rather than one of the pariahs welcomed in by Jesus. A pariah at the end of the story, not at the beginning. But the way that Mary Magdalene tells it in this scene, she's really talking about Judas before the betrayal. The relationship between Judas and Jesus during their lifetimes. And for me, what she describes in that relationship is the whole point of human community. The ability to be in relationship with someone who challenges us. Someone we can argue with and wonder with. Someone who infuriates us. And that we can then come back, our own self-transformed. Those relationships are so important to us. They're why we set up communities of people that are diverse in backgrounds, diverse in beliefs, diverse in opinions. It's that relationship that Mary Magdalene talks about when she talks about Jesus and Judas together. But of course, it's the very end of the scene in some ways, those last two sentences that raise one of the biggest questions of the play, I think. A question about forgiveness. Whether Judas is beyond that forgiveness now. The question Henrietta, his mother, raises at the end of her monologue. Throughout history, Judas has been a symbol of those who are past redemption. And yet you hear Monica's challenging of that notion how anyone could give up on Judas. How can anyone forgive up, give up on someone else? We have now our third scene. This scene takes us right into the trial itself with Caiaphas the elder and El-Fatumi the attorney. Get yourself killed, but don't cross the line. What are the ideals for which we are willing to die? What happens when we betray those ideals? Was Judas simply unwilling to die for his ideals? For me, the conversation around obedience and loyalty is especially poignant as we honor Memorial Day. The many who have died in war often acting out of obedience, sometimes following their ideals, 
sometimes betraying them. Other parts of this play examine the disappointment Judas felt when Jesus didn't live up to his hopes, his dreams for what a Messiah would look like and do. A disappointment that may indeed have its roots in historical accuracy. Caiaphas the Elder talks about all of the Messiahs, all of the Zealots, during his 18-year reign of the Sanhedrin. And indeed, it was a time of many Zealots and many Messiahs, many people trying to come and break out of Roman rule to free the Jewish people in one way or another, religiously, politically, spiritually. And there is no question in many historians' minds that the kind of Messiah Jesus turned out to be was not the kind some of his followers had hoped for. And so one begins to wonder which ideals was Judas betraying and which ideals were holding strong for him. To whom did Judas owe his obedience and loyalty? To whom do we owe it? This scene also, as I said, gets into the trial itself, a huge part of the play, the character witnesses for and against. This particular play is, of course, about a person's huge sin, their huge mistake, the huge sin of the Christian imagination in some ways. But all of us make mistakes, can imagine our lives on trial, the good and the bad that we have done, weighed against each other. And we wonder, perhaps, who would act as our character witnesses? Who would remember us as a baby and the love that they felt? Who would defend us no matter what happened? Who would try to show another side? Who would come forward and ask us to meet judgment? There aren't easy answers for these questions. And part of ethical culture philosophy says clearly and strongly that none of us, even Judas, is all good or all bad. The congregation that I grew up in had a Latin saying across the wall which translated roughly to, I am human, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. And the meaning behind that saying, I think, was that we are complicated creatures and that dividing us from each other based on our ideas of good and bad will only serve to do just that to divide. In ethical culture, we hold that each of us, no matter what our mistakes, retains inherent worth, that none are beyond the possibility of forgiveness. There are all kinds of other ethical dilemmas in this play. As you can see from the title I gave this platform, I originally thought I'd be talking about free will and choice, which is a a whole layer that runs through the play. But what I kept coming back to as I read about those last days, about the trial of Judas Iscariot, is the idea of connection and community. 
the way that our own worth is noticed and named in community, beginning with the community of our family and extending out. Judah speaks only briefly in the play, completely convinced himself that he is beyond redemption, tied up in his anger at his own actions at Jesus, at the life and death that unfolded before him. And it is the witnesses then, the cloud of witnesses, the character witnesses, who remind us and Judas himself of his worth, of his continued connection to humanity. And our job, I think, to remind each other of that worth, no matter how big or small our mistakes. To remind each other and those beyond our walls the people whom society has given up on, has called irredeemable. Our message is to tell each one that they still matter, that somewhere someone remembers the love they felt when they first were born. I want to invite you to join me now in giving a thank you and appreciation to our actors.